gotta tell somebody. This is the best thing I've ever seen. That. Let's talk about that. Let's you need this. Listen to this. Memorable and exciting. Well, then be less boring. I'm gonna tell everyone. Wait here. Quite a remarkable big daddy. Remarkable. Welcome to Remarkable, a podcast for B2B marketers that deconstructs the most iconic moments in film, television, pop culture, and advertising for a single purpose, to give you, the B2B marketer, the same storytelling techniques that the pros use. In each episode, you will learn techniques from Hollywood, Pixar, Marvel, and beyond, from Spielberg's hands to yours, bringing remarkable content ideas to you every single week. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. This is Remarkable. And this week, we're talking about B2B marketing lessons from You Suck at Cooking and how to make irreverent videos in your marketing. Love it. You suck at cooking. Yeah, you totally suck. Meredith, what the heck is You Suck at Cooking? Well, You Suck at Cooking is a YouTube channel that basically makes fun of or satirizes classic cooking shows. That is Meredith O'Neill our amazing producer extraordinaire for this show and many other shows at Caspian Studios. So instead of it being like a picture-perfect set with the whole like mise en place, all the ingredients set out and everything in a pristine kitchen, the videos are clearly made by a dude for fun in his own kitchen and for himself. Now, before we start cooking, we'll do a final check to make sure we have everything, which is known as mise en place, which is a French term for get all your shit together before you start. Um, he also like uses decidedly unchefy terms, like he calls stirring wang jangling, which made me snort. And um, he <laughs> wang jangle, wang jangling, wang jangler, wang jangle this, wang jangle this, just wang jangle it, wang jangler. Go ahead and wang jangle that together. Wang jangle it, wang jangle it. He once uh, mistakenly called his oven onion, and it stuck. So now he uses one or the other. So he'll be like, "I'm going to put brownies in the onion," and just like goes with it. Oven onion. So he's like owning these, you know, new terms or whatever. Uh, he also often burns whatever he's making pretty frequently. Mm, movie night will never be the same. It'll be much worse because I way overcook these. But chef or not, the videos definitely do have their own like flair style, including but not limited to um, some original songs that he writes himself. Bean dip is not mean dip unless I punch you in the face with it. Then I'd call it mean dip. Stop motion animation, voicemails from his dad. The other thing I wanted to mention is that, uh, you know, I think the product is really good. I think you need to become more creative in terms of your salty language. But um, would add more to it. Uh, it's kind of gratuitous in the circumstances. Special appearances of his dogs and much, much more. So for these videos, they're all shot from overhead, and it looks like just like this pair of disembodied hands that are making the food, and it's definitely in his own kitchen, right? So it's very, like, user-friendly, and he's walking you through step-by-step like any cooking show, but what's kind of weird that stuck out to me was we never see the creator's face. We don't know his name. He's totally anonymous, and so I was trying to look into it, and he even has released a book, and the book is called You Suck at Cooking, The Absurdly Practical Guide to Sucking Slightly Less at Making Food, a Cookbook. And I was like, oh, it'll definitely say his name on it, right? But the author is listed as You Suck at Cooking. So I did find, though, on a Reddit thread that his name might be Mel, and that's like as far as I got. Let's remember, Dad, you're the person who once said, Mel, could you check in the Google? 
Um, but anyway, the channel was started in 2015, uh, and now he has over 3 million subscribers. I've been following Yusuke Cooking for a long time. I think it's like the perfect blend of not taking yourself too seriously, providing a little bit of education. That sizzle tells you it's cooking. A little bit of entertainment and just poking fun at sort of all of the massive amount of overhead cooking videos. And I think it's really interesting that if you're thinking back in 2015 about starting a channel, like, hey, I'm going to make a cooking show, you would have probably patterned it off of any of the cooking shows that have sort of been out there. What is going to be, you know, Emerald or whatever it is. And instead, he does the exact opposite of what you would expect from a cooking show. It doesn't even have to be right. It doesn't even have to taste good. I crowded the pot. The onions fell apart. They didn't get dark enough. It still tastes incredible. Uh, a lot of the times he's, he's making things that ideally sound like they're going to be great. And at the end, you know, it's kind of a botch job. And he's like, well, you know, and uh, he's definitely Canadian, by the way. There's no way it's not. <laughs> a, they're just so funny. And B, he, he does some outdoor stuff that I'm pretty sure is in Canada. And I think it's just such a u- unique creative take on something that has been done a thousand times. And then the other thing is, if you were to look at like overhead cooking videos are very commoditized, like tons of companies do them and it has no personality, right? It's like meant to have no personality. So he takes this format that a cooking show, which usually has tons of uh, personality in it, blends it with a format that has absolutely no personality and then just doesn't even put himself into it. It's just remarkable remarkable content. And, uh, and I love it. I didn't even mean to say remarkable there. It just came out <laughs> like that. Um, Jazz, what'd you think watching it for the first time? Oh man. Like, I feel like I found my new favorite channel. That is Jazz Zapatos, a producer here at Caspian Studios, as well as a brilliant comedian and host of the Millennial Movie Club podcast. Like this kind of content speaks to me so much. And I think, especially in an era where we are so over saturated with content. I mean, granted, he's been in the game longer than most people who are out there, but I think so much what we see is like, what's the trend, right? What's trending? Let's take this thing and like recreate it a million times. Whereas like he clearly started this just not giving a hoot about like if if somebody was going to like it or not, or if it was like something else. Again, his face is not even in it. So it's not about like a claim or becoming. And like you said, some of the overhead cooking things that we see, usually the angle with those is like really, if it's not about personality and it's not about the person cooking, it's like really elevating the ingredients, right? Like slow-mo shots, like slicing a tomato, seeing how juicy it is. Like his version of that is like stop motion animation of like a, a Brussels sprout as a tumbleweed. Brussels sprout, where are you going? You got some kind of compulsion to be rolling. Trying to get away from your problems. Just because you're running doesn't mean it's going to stop them. Like he's he's elevating <laughs> the ingredients, but in his own way, like in his funny way. And for me, like edutainment hits every time. If I'm laughing, I'm hanging out and I'm learning. And so, oh man, this guy just absolutely nails it. And he's not trying that hard. He's just being super authentic and doing his thing. And it's great. Yeah, I just love that. Like it's real recipes he's following and he's actually cooking. So in the end, even if he like ends up burning something or it's not completely perfect, it's 
still a recipe and he like gets to the end and shows you the final result, which I think is really cool. So they are like legit cooking videos that are just done in a really funny, different way. That is Annika Das, B2B content marketing manager here at Caspian Studios. And then the one thing that surprised me when I watched probably like the first couple of ones were at, at the very end, he was like, oh, by the way, this is a HelloFresh recipe and it's sponsored by HelloFresh. And I was like, no way. This is so funny that they would even like find this man's channel and just like reach out to them for sponsorship opportunity. <laughs> I just thought it was so funny. It's like cooking while HelloFresh holds your hand, but not literally because that would be creepy and weird. That struck me really intensely, actually, that the ad isn't until the very end of the video because that like goes against what so many people are taught in terms of making content. It's just like, just try and squeeze it in and hope they'll skip past it. Where by the end of these videos, you're like, I will listen to anything you say. I like talk about building like a really strong brand voice and brand loyalty. You're just like, if you're selling it, I'm buying it. One other thing about the content that I think we have to get into is that he does so many quick cuts and is visually like has his very unique style of way that he does stuff. He's extremely consistent with that. He'll break format for sure at times, but there's always some level of absurdity. And he pokes fun at just like every single thing about whether it's like cooking instruments or the way that you like like cut or mash or, or do whatever, the types of ingredients that like look like other things. I'm not about to let the man tell me that my pancakes have to be a circle. Take that society. He does all the those type of stop motion things, which are so funny. Or like you can you can either you know dice a tomato, or you can just tell it you love it and watch it fall apart, and then all of a sudden it's in all these different pieces. <laughs> and like that sort of stuff is, I mean, God knows how long he spends in the edit bay doing this stuff. Like it's got to be forever doing all this, doing all these things. There's one where I, th- I don't know if it's like an egg where it travels like down an entire maze through his house but it's clearly not a real maze. Like each of the steps he has to like help it along the way. And it's like ridiculously (laughs) elaborate, but also ridiculously dumb. And it's just like, you feel so in on the joke Mm -hmm. and he has all sorts of recurring bits. You know, we always use the phrase lived in, but like, it feels like he's created his own little universe. And it's like this, you suck at cooking universe. And like, you get to live in it for like three and a half minutes and it's freaking awesome. Yeah. What I mean, to me, the appeal is almost similar to like a Rick and Morty, like you said, like something that creates its own universe because I couldn't look away because I was so compelled by what he was going to say or do next because it could be anything. And that is so exciting. But you can also use butter or something else slippery. Vaseline, I'll recommend it. Yeah. Part of it too is like his tone. He's very like monotone, like very, very dry, but it's so fast paced. And so you have to keep up and he's just cracking jokes the entire time. And it's like, keep up with it, you know? Today, we're making Brussels sprouts, a type of cabbage that belongs to the mustard family. That's one messed up family, just like yours. But yeah, the other thing too about his videos is like food content that you see online. It's so perfect. It's so curated. It's so designed that like, you might be like, oh, I want to make that thing, but it feels too big. It feels too like impossible to make it as perfect as you've seen it. And so him cooking and making mistakes and you see all the things that he accidentally like totally scorches or whatnot. This one's also going in the garbage. 
And he just like owns up to it and is like, whatever. (laughs) And it makes it accessible. It makes it attainable. And it makes you want to cook too, you know? Yeah. It makes it so much more approachable. I feel like having a brand that's more approachable than it is like perfect or the best overall is like always going to be a winner. I mean, just because I come from the world of commercials, like you've seen a huge change over the past like five, 10 years in terms of how they cast commercials where it used to just be like, oh, are you a model? Let's put you on TV where now they're like, I want Joe from next door because I want people to be able to like look at our brand and feel like this is accessible to me. And I feel like, I mean, he's definitely doing the same. He's like, anyone can cook and burn it a little bit. And it's cool. Ah, and I've gone ahead and friggin' burnt this. Yeah. Have you been talking to my agent? Because that's how I got my modeling start. <laughs> Casting call, Joe from next door. Uh, does it include Patchy Beard? Because then I definitely have that in spades. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> my wife always gets mad because she's like, you are a medium. Like everything you own is medium. <laughs> <laughs> Your beard grows in medium. <laughs> and so today... All of that leads us to the lesson, which is embracing your mistakes. And the way that he does this is he's really irreverent and having a reverent sort of tone and nature and being flippant and being self-deprecating and all those things. What I probably should have done was cook the bacon and garlic together for a few minutes, then pour that garlic bacon grease all over the sprouts. Don't be like me, kids. You need to do better allow you to embrace the mistakes. But I think that what we all feel when we when we watch these videos is that it makes it more accessible because he makes mistakes. Okay, we weren't ready to flip. Let's just cook these a bit longer and we'll try again. So at the end of the day, like when I cook, I'm already like a cyclone. <laughs> and, like, it's already chaos personified mm-hmm. as soon as I step into the kitchen. And like, I no matter what, I've never followed the directions all the way. Like my wife, she was a chef. She follows the directions. She knows how to do all that stuff. For me, I never do it. So cooking feels scarier when you do that. But when you watch you suck at cooking, I'm like, well, you know, he forgot the ricotta and the lasagna. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's going to be okay. Yeah, like he kind of sucks, but he doesn't care. And voila, pancakes that are too doughy, thick, and dense. Whoops, I'm going to show you how to fix that. And so it makes you feel like, yeah, I could do this and not be so precious (laughs) about it. I mean, there are all of these studies that are like, you know, anytime any level of like perfection is involved, people are more likely just not to even try at all or just not to even approach the thing if there's a chance that it won't turn out perfect. And so I think like as a brand and as a human being, if you can embrace your mistakes or just acknowledge like they're going to happen and it's still going to be cool. Or maybe I like my lasagna better without ricotta. I mean, doubtful, but you know, you just don't know what kind of mistakes end up turning into like a fresh idea. I think that this is a little counterculture to specifically B2B tech, but for also a lot of brands, like you think of Nike, like Nike was about perfection athletes that are superhumans like Serena Williams, LeBron James, like these are people that like Tiger Woods are like unattainable. Like we can never be like them no matter how hard we tried. And so it was about achieving the unattainable. Whereas like in B2B world and in tech world, when you're trying to create content, like you want to create like, this is the best way to do something. But the truth is like you figured out the best way 
by making 5,000 mistakes, right? It's like you either get it right or you, or you learn, you know? And I think that that part for B2B marketing makes it way more real if you understand the mistakes. And if you make the case study and it's just the good stuff and not the bad stuff, then it's not going to feel as real. You know, I had a really interesting conversation with someone. We were talking to a prospect the other day and they were talking through some case studies that Caspian had done. And they're like, tell us your anti-case studies. Like, when did this go like horribly wrong? And I thought that was a really good question to ask and, and something I sort of thought about with You Suck at Cooking where it's like, what are the times where you burn everything? Or what are the times where, you know, you drop the pan? Or, you know, the other day I was cooking and uh, I just couldn't get the temperature to 165 degrees on these pork meatballs. Turns out my food thermometer was broken. And, uh, <laughs> and I just absolutely nuked these pork meatballs. No. They were unedible. You're good at cooking and you're totally cool. But, uh, but like, you know, tell me about the, and not necessarily the failures, but the learnings and highlighting the failures in an irreverent way, I think allows you to be more accessible. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I also feel like yeah. it gives you more of a, a leg to stand on where, you know, they're not just like, okay, so you got lucky, you know, or like you just happen, you know, you like hit an algorithm at the right time of day or whatever, you know, it's just like showing how much spaghetti you've thrown at the wall while we're staying on the food <laughs> buns. but I just feel <laughs> nice. like yeah I just feel like it's more it makes you more credible to be like hey I fell down five times and stood up six yeah it's interesting because I feel like in marketing campaigns themselves companies aren't super like forward with mistakes they've made it's more so like they'll use humor in their marketing or maybe like pick up an irreverent tone or something unless that's like literally your whole brand which I feel like is easier to do when you're first starting out your brand so like people don't really know who you are or like what your values or mission is or what your voice is yet so you can kind of like build that tone of like irreverence of like playing that fine line of like what's absurd, but still like accepted within people uh, and like your audience, of course, too, and just like being authentic through it all. But I think when it comes to like, not even like advertising your mistakes, but just like publicly putting them out there, like people don't do that. But you see like B2C companies on like Twitter, for example, all the time, like tweet at each other or like publicly apologize for like mistakes and they use humor in it all the time especially like fast food brands like Wendy's like constantly just like bickering back and forth with like other like fast food chains that are their competitors and stuff like that um but yeah I don't know like how a b2b company would like just be open about their mistakes in marketing well, one thing I was thinking of is sort of if you if you take an irreverent tone, you're kind of acknowledging that the world isn't perfect, right? So for a B2B company, you know, hey, the implementation is going to take 90 days. For one guy, it took 180, you know? There's ways to sort of poke fun at, hey, like if you're going to be irreverent that you know, things don't always go according to plan. And it's like a great ad I saw, and I forget who did this, was uh 
the worst meal that some guy on Yelp had ever had or whatever it was. <laughs> like that sort of idea where it's like, instead of saying like, you know, 91% of companies, you know, renew for multiple years, it's like 9% of companies are stupid. <laughs> I don't know. Like that's probably too far. But like you would be in business speak, you'd be like, well, they weren't the right fit or they didn't get to value fast enough. But if you were to be a little bit more irreverent or like 9% of companies shouldn't have bought us in the first place, you know, or whatever. The last thing you want to do is cook these whole like a moron. Right. Well, I feel like it gives you an edge if like you're the one who's saying what everyone else is thinking and like doesn't have the guts to say. Be When it comes to B2B, like we're all in the trenches together, really. So if like if we can level with each other and just be real, I feel like that's that's just a better way to make relationships because you're schmoozing somebody that is in the business of schmoozing. You know, it's like we can see through it a little bit. It just makes it feel more genuine. Not a B2B example, but I think if we're like speaking to irreverence specifically and like how companies can do it really well, I think like kind of just playing into the whole idea of like being a disruptor in the industry or almost like a juxtaposition itself is the brand Swatch, like just being a plastic watch brand that's Swiss made in contrast to like the actual like Swiss made watches that came before them that are super, super expensive and like super fancy, but just swatch like putting themselves in the industry as a plastic watch is just kind of like a reverence and action of them just being like, hey, like this is our brand. We're making like plastic watches that are at the same level of a price point as like some of these other really nice watches. And we're just going to like kind of go with the whole like silly tone of sort of making fun of their competitors but doing it in a way that still got them like a really big audience at the time like they were huge i feel like everyone wanted to swatch mm, big time when that's a we great were kids. big time uh meredith do you want to go through some of these other examples yeah uh so i found a really funny example i mean it is funny in general because our irreverence is obviously like a type of humor but this company dead happy <laughs> is a life insurance company and it definitely got my attention. One, because they're just like their branding is really loud. Their logo is this laughing skull and they use like super bright colors, which is like anti to like the whole idea of death. But it definitely targets like younger generations with their sense of humor. And on their website, there's a button that says make a death wish. Um, and they're basically like wanting you to do business with them to decide what will happen to you once you die. And so examples that they give you are you could donate a tattoo to somebody you love, or you could send your ashes to the edge of space. These are real offerings that they have. <laughs> um, and so <laughs> it just seems so like out there and definitely appeals to a very specific audience but they have this whole like sense of humor around death and like rethinking life insurance. That's so, so cool. I feel like that's, yeah, that's taking something super serious that no one ever wants to talk about. No one thinks about life insurance. Like no one wants to buy it, but they were like, Hey, you can like donate a tattoo or like send your ashes <laughs> to your space. That's really funny. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. The idea of death wishes. No, I mean, it's like, it's like a perfect fit, right? It's embracing the reality, right? I mean, the reason why we like to highlight mistakes and why, why it's so funny when you suck at cooking does it is because that's actually what happened. Like 
He doesn't go back and redo the recipe. He does it once. If he screws it up, he records us and lets he know, lets us know that he screwed it up. Mm-hmm. Like that is reality. Like, you know, when you die, do you want to be, you know, dead happy? Do you have death wishes that you want? That's freaking hilarious. That's so good. And it just allows us to confront the reality of the situation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although I would say that like uh, cooking shows are easier and less alienating to make fun of than uh, you know, death. <laughs> Wouldn't you say like, you know, if you're gonna like be irreverent about something, I feel like death wish could potentially like alienate some people. Like my parents would never, <laughs> would never do life insurance through something like that. You know but what I mean? they're not selling to your parents. Like they're selling to us who we have like, right. you know, we, <laughs> our generation, that's like a little more of a dark sense of humor. Like we, impo- <laughs> you know, we use comedy to, you know, normalized trauma. Like they know exactly who they're selling to. And I have a feeling like they're effective with their target audience. Definitely. I love it. This has been awesome. Everybody highlight those mistakes, be a little irreverent and see what happens. It'll make you stand out. Awesome. Great stuff, y'all. You're good at cooking and you're totally cool. Well, that's it for today. I hope you got some good ideas for your B2B content. Thank you for listening to Remarkable. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. Remarkable is created by the team at Caspian Studios, B2B podcast as a service. Caspian also creates fiction series for B2B companies. So if you want a business thriller, you can learn more at caspianstudios.com. Hollywood style storytelling for B2B. And in today's episode, you heard from myself, Ian Faison, Anika Das, B2B Content Marketing Manager, and Meredith O'Neill, Senior Producer here at Caspian Studios. Remarkable was produced this week by Meredith O'Neill, mixed by Scott Goodrich, and our theme song is Solomon by Falak. Be remarkable and rise above the noise.